Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. Got a really exciting, insightful interview with guest RJ Burr one of the owners and founders of Panax Oil and Gas, a family-run, very successful oil and gas and energy company uh, in the U.S. And as you guys know, I'm always looking for, of course, entrepreneurs, business owners, people that have amassed great wealth uh, and done it in a very insightful, impactful, and balanced way. Um, But I also am very interested in people who are doing things that oftentimes are not necessarily talked about a lot. And the oil and gas industry, the energy industry, um, the narrative around that is, I don't want to say very skewed, but it is, in my opinion, um, not necessarily represented in the most accurate way and oftentimes taboo because we don't get a lot of insight Um, into this industry. It's a very hidden industry if you really think about it and you ask a lot of the people that are in that space particularly. Uh, One, it's an amazing and great wealth-building vehicle, and you're going to hear about how uh, RJ and his family uh, built up their oil company, how they got into it, and how they exited their first one, and how they built up based on opportunity and kind of the current landscape. The uh, second one and what that is up to and kind of all of the, you know, we'll call it oil investing 101, 102, and 103. We talked a lot about the similarities of real estate and oil as an investment. Um, we talked about kind of the uh, different stages of oil in terms of how these, you know, smaller companies who really produce the majority of the oil within the United States, which is uh, a whole kind of topic that we dove into that many people don't know about thinking of, you know, it's always uh, Shell and Exxon and, right, all of the big oil companies that you know about. But really, like, within the U.S., it's a lot of hardworking, you know, grassroots uh, American families that have gotten into the oil industry that produce the majority of the oil. And he talks about the different stages of an oil kind of company in terms of many of these companies kind of always staying in the chasing oil stage, which is ultimately what I would compared to many entrepreneurs of being the solopreneur, they're just always chasing one client, one deal, one next sale, and never really creating a real sustainable, um, scalable business model. To then the second stage, which is obviously having a real business, is the production oil stage. And he breaks all of these down. And then, of course, the third is kind of the public and the sell stage, right? Which is of course, relatable to many entrepreneurs and business owners of getting your company established in a way, right, that you could go and exit it and sell for a nice multiple. And so understanding the correlations and kind of seeing how to connect some of those dots was interesting. But um, he really broke down some very interesting times when it came to right before coronavirus and this big, you know, drop in oil and transformation of the industry and kind of all of the rules and players on that particular board game, um, how things were shaking out and transforming. We talked a lot about misconceptions around oil and energy, as well as this green energy movement. He talked about kind of the greatest trick the green movement has played on many people and how that's shaping and transforming 
what the future of oil and energy looks like going forward. He also talked about some of the interesting and exciting opportunities in the space. Uh, we talked about how history, um, you know, kind of really creates uh, clarity in the present and the future and how he's looking back at many of the financial crises and many of the, you know, lobbying kind of milestones around oil and energy to predict what we're going to experience going forward. But, you know, I'll let you listen to his take on where he thinks oil and energy is going in the short term and in the long term. But uh, let's just say strap in. And the more you know, the more you can you know, protect yourself, the more you can capitalize on opportunities and uh, be prepared, most importantly. So with that being said, I'm excited to dig into today's interview with R.J. Burr from Panex Oil & Gas right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the show RJ Burr of Panex Oil & Gas. How are we doing today? I'm doing absolutely wonderful, Matt. How are you doing, man? Doing good, brother. It's, uh, you know, every, every, well, we're recording this on a Monday and, you know, as we kind of come out of the weekend and I'm always, you know, taking in, the, uh, I don't want to say the news cause I don't subscribe to the main news outlets and narrative, but, you know, kind of taking in everything that's going on. Right. It just feels like every weekend there's some new, you know, change. And, and I, I guess I would say, um, the, the rules of the game seem to be constantly being rewritten right now. And I know in your world, in oil and gas, um, a lot of things going on. So I know we're going to be talking about, you know, obviously the company itself and how you guys have gotten into the industry, but also what's going on with the current climate and the narrative that's surrounding oil and gas, this push for, you know, green, um, how that impacts you guys, what oil is in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, as an overall you know, investment vehicle. Uh, but I want to know a little bit more about you guys and, and Panex and, and the family business and how you guys got into oil. Well, it, it's one of those deals. My, my mom and dad are from a town called Maryville, Louisiana. And Maryville is about the size of a hiccup. If you blink, you're going to miss the two stop signs. And they were, they were married when they were one of the, you know, heck, I'm not the, I don't know how how well it would go over nowadays, but they were one of the couples that were married at 16 and uh, been together ever since. I got uh, 
three older sisters, one younger brother. There's uh, 29 nieces and nephews running around. And my dad got into sales really kind of by accident. And, and it was one of those deals that him and my wife and my mom were married so young that, uh, heck, he had to go to work. He had to, you know, forego a college scholarship in football. I mean, it was that was it was time to make some money. And he got into selling insurance. And it was one of those deals that when he went and they did the aptitude test, they, you know, he filled out the paper. Well, they failed him. And he looked at them and he said, you guys don't know me from a hole in the ground. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to hire me. And this time next year, you're going to fly me back in to talk to all your rookies next year. And Mr. Fletcher Garden was his boss. And he saw something in my dad, despite him not passing the aptitude, he brought him in. And sure enough, the next year, he flew him back to Dallas to present to that group. Well, that event right there changed my entire family's trajectory. Because that was the first time really anybody in my family had entered into the sales world. Now, as I get older and as I kind of learn, I, I, I've heard several people say, say it before, but it's more important now than ever. Than ever. Sales is everything. Everything. You're, you're either selling, you're being sold in every decision that's made. And, and so my family getting into that realm, now that kind of leads into him and my, my Uncle Gene, uh, he, he passed away. Oh, golly, going about 30 years ago now, my Uncle Gene passed away. And uh, But back when they were young, my Uncle Gene got into oil and gas. And, and he knew my dad was selling insurance. And so he called him up. This was 1973. And uh, he said, Bob, I think I got something that, that y'all want to look at. And so dad came in. He said, I sat around the office for about an hour. I listened to all of them on the phone talking. He said, at that point, I realized I can do this. He called my mom, said, Doris, put the, put the house for sale. We're moving to Dallas. And that was when he got in the oil and gas business. And that's really, that's all we've ever done. You know, some, some kids get to grow up watching their dad practice law. Some get to grow up watching practice medicine. I got to watch my dad in the oil and gas business. I was on my first rig at seven years old and uh, funded my first deal at 18, three months out of high school. And this is all, this is really all I've ever wanted to do because what, what, and this is the biggest tragedy to me because you mentioned green earlier. I'm a big movie buff. And one of my favorite movies is The Usual Suspects. And one of my favorite lines in that movie is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And so when I kind of look at the relationship between green energy and oil, I want to amend that, that quote for today. The greatest trick the green movement ever pulled was convincing the world that energy was bad, that oil was bad. Because when you look at it, Without oil, really no modern economy moves. I mean, you have, if you live in the modern world, you're in the oil business, whether you want to be or not, because everybody is a consumer. What we try to do is put our partners on the other side of the ledger. We try to put them on the production side where, heck, you know money's going out for oil. Let's try to get some of that money coming back. And so that's really when you put the whole ball of it together, this is something we've been doing. I'm 46 years old. Be wow, I'll be 47 at the end of the month, and uh, I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. And so this is really all we've ever known. That's amazing, man. And it's obviously you've got that entrepreneurial spirit. You just happen to be in proximity to a product of oil, right? In a space of oil that you felt was your your playground, your landscape. What was it though about 
going into business with the family and finding, you know, we've heard many people talk about, you know, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs still having that freedom and flexibility to be an entrepreneur and build within a larger landscape of an entrepreneurial organization, which it sounds like obviously that was kind of the family landscape and dynamic of where you were obviously moving towards and climbing the company ladder and building something much bigger than it was at that point in time. But where did kind of your entrepreneurial bug start? Oh, you know, it's, we were talking about it here a little bit ago. Money is not the sole reason you do everything. However, it's a pretty strong motivator. For sure. And, and, and Especially when, you when you're see, broke and you're first starting out, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, me and my wife, I, me and my, I talked to my wife about everything. It's kind of funny because we were, we were talking about this exact topic. We have a 21-year-old and uh, he's learning to make his way, learning to pay his bills. And he had a bill that was due and, and he needed to figure out how to get some cash to pay the bill. And uh, I kind of looked at her and said, you know what? I think everybody needs to have their lights cut off once in their life. You know, that, that way you know what it's about. Absolutely. And, uh you know, right or wrong. I mean, it's not like I'm going to let my kid go with that. I mean, I'm going to drive over there and go get him. If he, you know, right. that, that's a, that's a controllable lesson I can teach him where, you know, I don't let it get out of hand, but it's, it's something that, you know, and this goes on whole different philosophy. You know, you look at people and in, in their relationship with their kids and, and I've had this conversation with my kids multiple times. Look guys, it's not my job to be your friend. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong when you're a grown up and you're a, you're a, a full adult, you have a family and you're, you're, I would love for us to be best friends. However, it's not my job to be your friend. It's my job to make sure you're ready. Yeah. Because as much as we would love to paint everything in the world in big rosy colors and big flowers and every, and you know, and everybody's happy and no, no, the world is a cruel, hard, cold place in a lot of areas. And, And if you're not prepared for it, it can crush you. And so I would much rather over prepare you for it and life be a lot easier than you thought it would be than me under prepare you for it and you get crushed by it. Mm. And so it's a, there's a fine line to walk right there. However, uh, I lost a client years ago and it wasn't my place. I, in hindsight being 2020, I was young and I, I spoke out of turn. I should have, I shouldn't have engaged on how to raise kids with one of my clients. Mm. And, uh, he he was explaining a scenario that happened to his son and how he reacted to it. And I kind of looked at him and said, man, do you realize you're setting him up for failure? And he said, what do you mean? I said, because in the real world, one day he's going to meet somebody like my son and, and my son's going to, going to gut him. I said, cause your son's not going to be ready for it. You, you've sheltered him too much. And it, you know, that's just kind of, it snowballed from there. And I, 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 sure. we'll leave that story at that point. But that, you know, it's one of those that uh, I look at what we do for our kids. And sometimes, you know, uh, you look at Mike Tyson. I, you know, I'm not a, con- I don't want to condone physical violence, hey, but you look you at him. the bear enough times. You're going to, you get- know, I, yeah, you have, when you, when you get keyboard strength, you know, all of us back when I was in school, you said something to the wrong guy, you slapped the taste out of your mouth. <laughs> and so guess what? You learn not to say that to that guy. And, and so it's just, there, there's a lot of wonderful benefits that technology brings. However, there's a lot of tremendous negatives it brings also. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you're talking about that in terms of, you know, cause there's a difference between being EQ and IQ having both, but then there's also right. The hard skills of like 
really being able to perform in life and, and, and get through the tough times. And I'm sure you guys have had a lot of peaks and valleys if we're going back to oh. the oil industry <laughs> yeah. uh, over the last few years. And I'm, and I'm curious how you guys have over, you know, since inception of Panex navigated the tough times and pulled through as a company, as a team, as a culture that obviously, you know, has led you guys to the success we now see today. Well, it, we really, my, my family have had two lives in oil. Uh, the, and I don't want to get too long with it. I'll, I'll just kind of explain our philosophy. This is not, nothing that you would find academically in a, in a school. This is just life experience and how we look at the oil industry. The oil and gas industry domestically in the United States is the most hidden topic on the planet. If you go out to pretty much anybody, on the street and say, name one oil and gas company that's an American company. They're going to go to Exxon. They're going to go, they're going to go to one of your major, one of your large companies. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is the domestic oil industry, they have nothing to do with it. Almost what, 80, 83% of the oil and roughly 90% of the gas domestically is produced by roughly 9,000 independent oil and gas producers. Mm. Now, those 9,000 producers, Average 12 employees or less. That's your oil and gas industry in, in America. Now, Exxon, don't get me wrong, they're based in Houston, but, but they're really not an American company in, in the sense that what's best for America doesn't enter their decision making. Right. Their decision making is what's best for their stockholders. Now, I have no problem with that. That's, that's what they should do. However, let's put it into context for, of what it is. And so when you look at the domestic oil industry, the vast majority of your companies within the industry do what we call as chasing oil. And here's what I mean. You start your business. You have a geologist. You raise some money. You have a prospect you want to drill. You raise the money and you go out and drill it. For 99.9% .9 of your oil companies, that's it. It's over. You miss the well. You can't raise any more money. Eventually, the, the closed sign goes out and on your front door. Now, every now and then, you have a company who's fortunate and they hit that well. Well, they found what we call job security. Your job is secure for as long as it takes you to, to develop that field, whether it's one year, whether it's five years, however long that time period is, you're developing your field. Well, during that time, you're drilling wells around looking for another well. So when you're done developing, you can leapfrog to the next field and develop that one. Mm -hmm. Well, a successful oil man will look back. He's 60, 70, 80 years old. He's discovered five, 10, maybe 15 fields. He's made a great living. His partners have made some great money. However, he had to produce every barrel he found to keep that engine going. He has spent his entire life chasing oil. Mm. Now, that's where most of your oil companies spend their entire life. Every now and then, they jump out of that chasing oil stage and get to what we call the producing oil stage. Really, the only difference is in the producing oil stage, doesn't mean you're going to hit every well you drill. This is oil. You're going to miss wells. However, when you drill the well, you know the oil is there if you can get it. Mm. Now, in addition to that, when you're producing oil, you have enough reserves in place that you can utilize those reserves to acquire more reserves. Is that you with yep. me? Yep. Like, well, right now we have a field. There's anywhere, we estimate anywhere from bottom side about 15, 20 million barrels. Top side, there could be in excess of 100 million barrels sitting in this field that we're developing. Yep. 
Well, there's a section of pay sand in this field that's about, oh, 9,000 to, to 13,000 feet deep. Well, that's not something we're interested in. That, you know, we can drill it. Don't get me wrong. We, I'm not saying we won't drill. However, that's not our belly. That's, that's not what we focus on. Well, just because we don't focus on it doesn't mean that oil's not there. Right. So what we'll do, we'll take those and we'll show them to another oil company that has ownership of our bailiwick. And so we say, hey, we know you like this depth. Come look at it. If you like it, drill it. We'll keep a piece of it. You keep the rest. Yep. And at the same time, they open up their inventory to us. Mm. So we utilize our reserves to acquire more reserves. That's when you're in the producing stage. Now, the next stage after that is either go public, you sell the company. That, that's when you, you hit the launch pad. Now, my family, we've been fortunate. Right now, we're in the producing stage for the second time. First time, Marathon Oil came in and bought us out. And so we entered, oh, it was about, uh, it was over 10 years ago now, that uh, came in and essentially we retired. You know, my, me, my dad, my brother, we, the family, we sold the company and we walked away. And you can only chase that little white ball on the golf course around so much before you start going stir crazy. Right. And so here about, uh, oh, probably it was about six years ago now, five, six years ago, uh, me and my dad and my brother were eating dinner. And we kind of just sat down and I said, guys, you know, <laughs> it's time to go to work. My dad says, you know what? You're right. It's time to go. And Bo says, you know what? It's time to go. And so that was when we cranked up and started Panics. Now, our evolution as a company, really the biggest thing that happened wasn't Corona. It was right before Corona, okay. uh, about six months before. What we saw, and now this is whether you like President Trump or not, it's really irrelevant. What he did with the United States production of oil and, and getting us to produce so much oil, the power structure in the oil industry in, in 1960 when OPEC was created, at that point in time, your seven sisters, basically your seven major oil companies, yep. they controlled the price of oil. They manipulated. I mean, I, they, there's all kinds of crazy stories you can read about on that period of time. Well, the reason OPEC was, was created was to negate that power. And that has essentially been the power structure for the last 60 years. And then all of a sudden, domestic production in the United States, the shale industry, came in and it took OPEC's power. And, and so what we saw happening is we saw OPEC and OPEC Plus, which is Russia, we saw them increasing production because economically, the shale oil is expensive to produce. Chances are most companies out there need at least $50 a barrel to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. Everything over 50 is what they're making profit on. Right. And so what we saw happening is we saw Russia and Saudi Arabia increasing their production, increase, trying to push that price down. If they could get it to 45, maybe $40 a barrel, all of a sudden your shale companies are in trouble. You're driving them out of it. And so that, that, that's what we saw happening. And we said, okay, now the dirty little secret is Russia and Saudi Arabia need $50 a barrel each also. And, and so we were betting that they could outlast the shale industries. And so that was really what we were gearing up for. Because when you look at, I, I love history. History is probably my favorite subject because it, history is the greatest story ever told. And, and if you sit back and look at it, you'll see in every moment of financial crisis in our country's history, when it's all said and done, there is always a group of people that come out of the other side looking like geniuses. And when you look at their stories and compare their stories, 
there's really only two common traits that they share. The first is they had cash on hand when the crisis hit. Mm -hmm. The second, when the opportunity presented itself, they had the intestinal fortitude, as my dad likes to call it, to push their chips in the middle of the table. And that's really the main, because it's in so many different industries. Yep. And so we, we saw this come. We saw the crash come. And we said, okay, let's get our powder gel. Let's get, let's. And so we started getting ready for it. Well, then all of a sudden, Corona came and nobody could have predicted it. However, just because it was a different trigger, the end result was the same. Right. Only thing it did that was different, it took the 18 to 24 months we thought it would take and it crunched it down into 30 days. Crazy. And so all of a sudden, now you have oil prices. I mean, I, I can tell you the story about the day it happened. April 20th. I mean, it, it, that, it's burned in my it's mind. It's burned in your memory forever. Oh, I mean, I, I remember. I was going to ask, what was that. going through your guys' mind as this is playing out? And obviously, you're, <laughs> you are, you're looking at the, right, like you said, the history, the data. You guys had already kind of been, you know, digging the well before, you know, no pun intended, before you wanted to start scooping the water. But you guys saw this coming. You just didn't know, one, it was going to be, right, uh, catalyzed yeah. by coronavirus and two, that it was going to be condensed from 18 to 24 months down into 30. So how were you guys navigating this going, Hey, we've been preparing for this opportunity. It's here. What, what did that all look like? Uh, I'll put it bluntly on that day, April 20th, 2020. If anybody on the planet had the right to curl up in the corner, start crying and sucking their thumbs, it was us. And, and the reason I say that we had just finished earlier in the year two two partnerships. One had uh, twelve wells in it. One had nine wells in it. Outstanding partnerships. I mean, they they were in the first revenue distribution, the first not the the first month these wells produced. When we sent the revenue out to the partners, when you took the revenue and added the taxes to it, it was a little over fifty percent of their money they got back in one month. Oof. I mean, it was yeah. Oh That's no, nice. I mean, to uh, over the last thirty years to have. One program going that part was rare to have back to back concurrent programs doing the same thing. We we're about to raise a hundred million. I mean, that we were about to raise a lot of money to, to keep drilling wells. Well, after that first month, that was March of 2020 when that first revenue distribution went out. And then the prices and it killed the partnerships. I mean, it, it the initial flush production, I can go into the whole story on what it did, but it, it killed our initial flush production on those wells because the price went through the seller. Yep. And so at that moment in time, that, that's one of those uh, hindsight being 2020. It's one of those moments that you could look back on and you are either going to be really proud with how you reacted to that situation or you're going to be really embarrassed. And, and so when that moment happened, we sat down as a group, we kind of looked at each other and we said, well, this is exactly what we were expecting to happen anyway. And so... We kind of looked at it while everybody else on the planet was pulling their sails in and getting ready to ride out the storm. We said, let's go for it. And we spread our, we spread our sails out and we pushed all our ships in the middle of the table. And in the, in the last two years, we've acquired, I want to say, 17 different leases comprising of two complete salt domes. Uh, if our experts are right, we got 100 to 125 million barrels of oil sitting there. And so... When you're when you're sitting on top of when you're sitting on top of that much oil, I mean, <laughs> all we gotta do is go get it. Now That's that means right. you know there, it, it's gonna it's gonna take us about 200, 300 million to get it all out of the ground. Mm -hmm. However, when you're looking at a potential 
five to ten billion in reserves, I'll sign up for that six days a week and twice on Sunday. That's amazing. You know, and, yeah, and so funny. it's just a, looking back in we'll just call it that you know Q1 Q2 window of 2020 how many oftentimes right and you can I'm a history guy too I love going back and looking at history studying data mm-hmm. and seeing how that correlates and kind of helps provide either context or or color to the present or future and so many amazing businesses i mean of course you got the companies that just got cut off at the knees and many of them probably you know rightfully so because of how poorly they were operating or you know not necessarily doing the proper things to build a moat around their business and run it like a business but then you have these companies that you know the contrarian thinkers right when everybody else is zigging those people are zagging and of course you know going oh, shit i hope we're doing the right thing here as we're zagging but that's what you see these amazing brands and businesses and companies get birthed out of is the chaos and the turmoil. And it's almost this grittiness that every successful company kind of rite of passage has to go through in order to transcend and, and, you know, kind of have that metamorphosis into another version of themselves. What did that do for you as a leader? I mean, obviously there was the strategy and the execution of, hey, we run these plays in our business to get, you know, these results. But what was the mind game like for you in those moments? And, you know, how did that translate into how you're running the company now today? Oh, that, that, that's a great question. And I was, I was, we were talking earlier and I was thinking about the, the evolution of a man. You know, what, what the different stages of a man's life and and where he's at in each one of those stages. You know, yeah. you're, you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, you're a man. Well, when are you truly a man? Mm. And that that and so that's something I've had a all oh, the last handful of years, I've had a I guess a lot of evolutions and, and maturity. I don't know if it's the fact that I turned 40. I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure what triggered it. And I started thinking about what was the difference between Jay today and Jay 15 years ago. And really what it boils down to, it's having trust in yourself. And here's what I mean is for pretty much every successful male, as you're getting into the business, whatever business it is, as you're getting into your adulthood, there's always a couple of people, might be your dad, might be your business mentor might be your teacher. Might, there's always one, two, three. There's always a couple of people that you lean on their opinions. Yeah, You lean on what they say. And I truly believe that the moment you become a man is when you realize, I trust my own judgment on a situation. I'll still ask opinions on the outside because it's an ignorant man who turns down wise counsel. Yep. However, I have my heart. And if I believe something in my soul, I was talking to my dad about it. I said, when you look back on it, there's been a couple of moments where you believe something, but it's eh, wishwashy. You know, you could go one way or the other. You think it's right, but you're. Eh. But there's a couple of times you know conviction. You know, you 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 got it. You're right. You're I know. And even if the world is telling you you're wrong, deep down you know you're right. Well, most of the time when you follow that out, you are. Yeah. There, there's something in your body that is telling you you're right. And, and when. When this whole thing started going and we saw the direction, I, I had a moment here. It was right at January of last year. Because, uh, Like I was telling you earlier, a lot of my clients, they're, they're real estate investors. That's where they made the bulk of their money. Yep. And uh, well, yeah. It, in fact, one of them had me put a, put a little, it, they're called, well, we call it our oil and gas primers. You can go to panx.us and you can get our oil and gas 101, oil and gas 102, and oil and gas 103. 
And oil and gas 101 is basically just a general overview of the industry. Just here's what it is. Oil and gas 102 lays out the tax aspects of it. How oil and gas, I believe, is the greatest tax shelter out there. And then oil and gas 103 kind of lays out the structure of the industry, where we were, where we are, what the future lies in front of us. And so I was sitting down talking with some of my partners. And when you look at the typical investor, this is just, once again, no academic. This is just me, 30 years of dealing with my partners and their money. Typically, my partners have three piles of money that they live from. The first pile is what we call our safe pile. That, that's their family. That's their bills. That's, that's what they live on. Nobody touches that money. Their second pile, that's a pile for their future. Now, when they put the money in that pile, they're not necessarily, don't get me wrong, they want it to grow, but they want to know that when they go back to it, they're going to have the same, if not more, than when they put it there. Well, their third pile, that's their pile they grow. That, that's the pile they play with me with. That's the pile they want to turn $1 into two, two to five, five. That's their, that's their multiple pile. Well, that middle pile was what all of a sudden, it was what, January, February. You remember the, the silver run last year when all of a sudden yeah, everybody realized there's more, there's more paper than there's actual silver? Yep. Well, all of a sudden, a large swath of my partners called me and said, hey, do you realize that the safe pile that I'm putting my gold, my silver, my all of a sudden those prices are just as manipulated as everything else. And so they started freaking out. They they started they, they didn't know where their safe pile would be from now on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I'm trying to heck, I'm a, a problem solver. I'm sitting there trying to think of solutions. Okay, how can I help them out? And I'm laying in bed and it was about three o'clock in the morning, and it hit me. And it kind of when it hit me, I popped up and I started pulling on the thread on that sweater. And so I was up for probably the next 48 hours getting everything laid out. And I kind of started it as a joke. And I've been asking my partners for two years now. And for two years, nobody's been able to answer me. Name other than water, oxygen, and food. Name one thing on the planet more demand than oil. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me, in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first. 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. 
And somebody said medicine. Okay, I can put medicine in there. But, you know, so there, there's a, and the reason I love oil is when you think about it, it's the most perfectly balanced product out there when it comes to what its value is. Because you have half the population want it free. The other half the population want it to be $5 million a barrel. And so you have two equally opposing forces pulling on the same barrel of oil. And so I started looking at it. Well, hang on. If you're worried about your money in gold or silver, well, heck, if you're tired of the rat race, well, get it out of the rat race. Park it here. Let's put it in oil. Let's put it in something that we know we're talking about green energy earlier. That's what oil and gas 103 is about. It, it breaks down what we've been doing as a country that, man, we're, we're setting our fellow citizens up for a huge gut shot. And, and I'll, I'll, re, I'll run through it real quick. I was going to say, tell us a little bit more about that from your perspective. Well, before the pandemic, we, we were roughly consuming about 100, 100 million barrels of oil a day worldwide. We were producing 90 to 95 million barrels per day. Now, that deficit, they're estimating it's between 10 and 13 million barrels per day. It's a big deal. Yeah, that we're consuming more and more producing. They project that to be close to 70 million barrels by 2030. Wow. And, And so you have a world in which we are consuming much more oil than we're producing. So the only way to alleviate that is to produce more oil. Well, when you look at the worldwide investment in development drilling, in upstream oil and gas investments, in 2014, it was right at a trillion dollars. We're going to be lucky to hit 300 billion this year. So we've essentially cut our investment to find more oil for what we've already produced by almost 70%. So we're using more oil, but we're not adequately investing in more oil to replace it. Why not? So the, you know, that. Is this just a Biden administration thing? I mean, because obviously the Trump administration. This started back in Obama. Okay. I mean, it's just, and and now really what it, I'm kind of speculating, but I'm just kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to guess on somebody's motives, but here's how I look at it. If, if I'm Exxon and I take, let's say, let's say all of it is me. Let, let's say every bit of that that trillion dollar investment, I'm, I encompass every oil and gas company. Yep. And now I'm putting $300 billion in. Well, if I've taken that $700 billion, chances are most of that is going towards green energy. So why would they do that? Well, one, maybe they are altruistic. Maybe they're okay with destroying the industry that made them who they are because they want to save the world. They're going to lose the stockholders' money. They're going to lose the value in the company. They're essentially going to destroy their company to, to get into green energy. That, Which, that, could, be, that, that could be why they're doing it. Could be, but it's highly unlikely, we'll say. Yes. Or, and I'm an Occam's razor guy. Simplest explanation is most likely the right one. Or they see, hey, I can put $700 billion in green energy. I'm going to get tremendous tax benefits. I'm going to get social loving. I'm going to get, everybody's going to tell tell the world how great a person I am. But more importantly, they know the exact same thing that I know. There's nothing out there to replace oil with. Yep. So when they get going, done going through the charade and everybody comes out from under the ether and they realize that, oh my God, we need oil. What's the value of the properties they already have going to be worth? Yeah. They're going to be slashed for pennies on the dollar and they're still going to have all the infrastructure and experience I mean, and resources to pick right back up, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, because when you look at it, and don't get me wrong, I think there's a little environmentalist in all of us. Sure. I mean, I want a beautiful environment. I want a clean, pristine. I mean, however, what I want and what is are two completely different things. And and so we look at, and I don't want to bash green energy. I mean, if somebody came up with a a free burning energy, well, heck, we'd all go to it. But the fact of the matter is, when you're investing in green energy, what are you investing in solar panels? Well, they discovered the solar panel in the mid-1800s. They've been studying that for almost 150 years. They hadn't figured it out by now. Chances are they're not going to. I mean, think of uh, wind turbines. I believe they had wind turbines in Holland a couple hundred years ago. Same thing. They, I mean, so they're investing in, in technologies they've been studying forever. When if you really wanted to go green, being quite frank with you, you'd go nuclear and natural gas. They're the cleanest burning energies we have. So do they want clean energies or do they want an issue? Mm. Because you can't have it both ways. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you take solar panels. If you took the most advanced solar panel on the planet and installed them in the United States to match the energy needs in the United States, you would need a solar farm the size of New Jersey and you would need the sun to burn at Arizona summertime temperature, 24 hours a day for 365 days a year. Physically, that's not going to happen. So so to use that technology, there's just nothing to do it. And then you look at, that's not even talking about the material needs. What I I read an article the other day, to produce one Tesla battery, they have to go through half a million pounds of material to produce one. Well, man... Just think of the rape and pillaging of the earth that we would have to undertake to accomplish all these goals. Man, I had a, I had a partner send me a, a picture the other day, and it was of a, of a oil well, you know, a little pump jack, a little horse going up and down on it, Yep, occupied maybe the size of my desk. Big, beautiful land around it. I mean, it, heck, the, the pump jack just looked like it should have been there. And then he, underneath it was a lithium mine. And it's like, which one do you think is destroying the environment? You know, it's just it's it's selective issues and people have used emotions for so long to browbeat people, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's uh, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a homo, you're you're a capitalist, you're greedy yourself. I mean, they, they yep. use emotionally charged worked in when man, they, I, they I tell use my it kid, to force people into conformity into whatever narrative they want that emotional drive to to, absolutely i mean it's like you said i mean of course it's it's politics and trickle down in anything and everything now it feels like in life but at the same time right you gotta when it comes to investing when it comes to building businesses yeah of course there's always going to be emotion driving a lot of that but it's really got to be a lot of data and it's got to be a lot of right uh decision making that's based on you know logic versus the emotional side of things and I know that there's so many different misconceptions around oil and gas and, you know, kind of clean energy and green energy. How are you guys navigating that in terms of your business and going forward? And where do you think, I guess, short-term micro and macro, you guys need to adapt a little bit to make sure that you guys are playing the long game and going to you know, succeed and thrive over the, the course of that timeline? Nah, it's simple. Anytime you play on somebody else's field, you have to play by their rules. Mm. And so whatever they require us to do. I mean, that that's just what, I mean, I, I would love to, to, to make a 
personal. Oh, I refuse to bend on that. No, man, I mean, we're in business. I, I've got, I've got partners that are responsible that I'm responsible to. And uh, if they make me go out in the field and jump rope for 10 hours to drill a well, then I guess I just better get in shape and be able to jump rope for 10 hours, <laughs> you know? And, and so you, you, well, you do what you got to do. And, and yeah. now you hope, you hope common sense prevails. You hope cooler heads. You know, I, I tell my kids, I, I said, look, when you're in a debate with somebody, the minute they say, I feel you won. That's because feelings have nothing to do with facts. The facts don't care. A fact is a fact is a fact, period. And, and it doesn't matter what you feel about it. I, I said, so you deal in facts. I said, and the minute somebody brings emotion in, you won. Because that, that's, that's, that's where you go. I mean, <laughs> the minute I say I feel, uh-uh, it doesn't matter what you feel. I don't, yeah. I don't really, honestly, not to be rude, I don't care what you feel. You know, if you get hit by that car, it's going to hurt. There's no changing that fact. You know, and so it's just, uh, you, you look at all this stuff and, and, oh, you watch the talking heads on the news. I mean, I, I think a lot of these guys are just so desperate to impress you with their intelligence. They try to make stuff so complicated. I mean, heck, I've been in this business for 30 years and I'll watch some of these guys and they'll get done talking to them. Well, what in the heck was he just talking about? And, and you know, and when in truth, it, it had nothing to do with the price of being China. Yeah. You know, it, it, Really just, it, and so they try to outsmart themselves when it's really simple. I mean, uh, just look at every economy on the planet. What drives the economy? Energy. If, if you don't have energy, you don't have anything. Okay, so how do we get the cheapest, cleanest? Now you start looking at the trade-offs. Okay, if we burn this type of coal, we're going to create a bunch of pollutants. But guess what? We're going to be able to do all this on this side of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's find the equal balance. Let's try to burn a little cleaner coal. You know, there's always trade-offs. Yeah. And that, you know, that the whatever lobby scared the world on nuclear power because of uh, a, a couple of, uh, you know, I'm not going to say small mishaps. You had a few major. However, nuclear power is a clean. I mean, that's, you look at right now, look at right now, France. The only reason France is a little separated from being at Russia's mercy is because of the nuclear plants they have. And they're going in and trying to close them now. You know, you look at Germany. Man, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but if you buy 60% of your gas from me, I own you. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do. You, you if, if I decide to cut you off and I say no. There's no way you're going to be able to replace it and build the infrastructure quick enough for the damage not to just cripple your economy. Yeah. And so they've kind of put themselves at Russia's mercy. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the goodness or badness of, of Ukraine and Russia, but everything they're doing over there, that's the, that's the crazy thing because everything they're doing over there doesn't do one thing. Yeah. It doesn't change the fundamentals that we consume too much and don't produce enough and aren't investing adequately to replace it. Those fundamentals are the same. And so you could end the Russia-Ukraine war tomorrow. And guess what? There's still not a reason for oil prices to go down. Mm. And, and so, you know, you might have a little blip. It might go down a little bit. It might fluctuate. But the fact of the matter is, we are where we are. And so it's one of those you either ignore it and hope it goes away, or you have to turn and face that monster in your closet and, and, and deal with it. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that's so where we're at. Biden's, uh, you know, Putin pump price uh, isn't as, let's say, relative to the way he's making it sound right now. 
and of course, I think, you know, some things, what are, how strong or weak is the United States from an energy standpoint right now? And what direction are we trending in? Oh, life's been hell since my crystal ball broke, but (laughs) it's, I kind of look at it like this. The United States is essentially the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. And so our ace in the hole, and and this has kind of been a debate I've had with my family for years is, man, why did we produce so much oil over the years when we had all these reserves? We could have just imported it from other people and kept our reserves. And then when everybody else was out of oil, we're the only ones, only game in town. Right. Well, that could, the same thing could be said for natural gas. I mean, you you make conversions there. I'm not sweating the U.S. energy. Now, I, I was talking with my daughter and, and she's one of those that you kind of look at her and uh, she's special. I mean, she really is. She, she is a sixth grader this year. She finished second in the state robotics fair. She built a oh, little robot awesome. programmed it. And so we're sitting there listening to the news the other night, driving home. And, I, you know, I, I don't overwhelm them with news, but I make them listen to it with me every now and then. Yeah. And, and we're driving home and they were talking about helping other other countries out. And, and, Amer- and right before that, they were talking about all the troubles in America. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, I'm, don't get me wrong. I want to help all those other countries out. But doesn't it make sense to take care of America first? And... and Make sure we're good because if we're good, then we can help everybody. But if we're helping everybody else, what good is to them if we fall apart? I like her already. And this is this is a twelve year old little girl, you know. And and so it, it gives me I, there's a I don't know if you remember the tornadoes hitting Bowling Green here a couple months ago. Yeah. We, we had uh, oh I think it was four tornadoes hit our town in about a three week span, but two of them really went right through the heart. And the night before the tornadoes, if you would have asked me. If America was the same America that was here in war, before World War II, I honestly don't know what I would have said. I don't know how I would have answered that question. The day after the tornado, my, my best friend and his wife, they, they live on one of the main streets that got hit. And so I'm up at seven the next morning and I'm wearing my truck, my wife and I were, and we're going over to my buddy's house to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, sun's barely cracking up. It's 637 in the morning. Sun, sun's barely getting up. And already the streets were clogged with hundreds from town came in to help and clean up. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. It was all of a sudden I saw it. I said, no, 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 no. We are America. We, we, we are here. And I really do believe I, I was talking with one of my partners and we have a, as a company, we have a game plan on, on building something. Cause when you look at the major, major oil and gas companies in the world, there's really only one that I can think of that produces most of their oil domestically. And it took two companies merging for that to happen. And so you sit down and look at it. And I said, you know what? There's over 600 salt domes across the Gulf Coast. Say half of those don't have any oil. Say half of those aren't worth it. Say only 1% of those are worth going at. That's a couple of dozen fields that if each one of them had 50 million barrels, all of a sudden, now you have a not just a billion dollar company, you have a company that's up in the tens and twenties and thirties. You have another major oil company. Well, why not? If somebody's, why not us? And so we started, you start building a plan that really nobody decided to climb Mount Everest. They, they never did it until they decided to try. 
And, and so when you look at the whole scope of everything going right now, it's one of those, we want to push all the chips in the middle of the table because look, I am and this is getting up, putting my, you know, my GI Joe hat on and putting the American flag in the back of my truck. I truly believe that Americans are ready for the three little world made in America to mean something again. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if somebody else as a country, if you don't control your food, your medicine or your energy, somebody else does. And right now we don't control any of those three. Yep. Well, I want to build something where we control one of them. Doesn't matter if it's me. Doesn't matter if it's somebody else. As long as it's somebody that wants the best for our country, I'm okay if it's not me. However, I I know what I would do. Yep. And so I trust me. I, I don't know. You know, I trust everybody else. Once you prove that I can trust you, but that and so it, it's something that is a. You look at all the politics. You look at all the flood. Man, it, it's really something that if you just went back to the foundation. You know, you could eliminate every law in the book. And if everybody just lived by one rule, the golden rule, mm-hmm. do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do you realize how much easier the life would be Yeah, and how much fair, you know, if, if you had a, if you had a trial in front of a group of ju- a, a jury and you said, you know what, guys, there's no specific law guarding this. You just decide whether this is right or wrong. And you would have essentially unanimous consent on darn near because everybody knows whether it's right or wrong. Now we can come up with laws and we can justify and we can figure out ways to skirt. And well, you, you, you only drank a beer in three quarters. If you'd have got to two, that's drunk drive. I mean, really? I mean, yeah. you're splitting hairs. You either drank or you didn't. I mean, it's no big deal. I'm not, I don't care. It's just one of those. Come on, let's be real clear about what we're trying because language does matter. Yeah. And when, when you change the language and you change the meaning of words, I mean, that there's got to be a goal to it. I mean, there's got to be a reason for doing it. I mean, you don't change a word if you like what it means. Yeah. So if you, you, know, were, so yeah. if you were to, you know, leave the audience with a couple truths that you know as fact about oil, energy, your industry, your space, that vehicle as an investment that you would want them to take away. Because like you said, right, there's a lot of you know, people speaking on the space, the topic, the industry as a whole, um, and where it's going and what's going on in it that really have no pulse, no experience, no expertise. Um, but they're shaping a lot of the narrative and the ideology around it um, because they've got attention and eyeballs. And I know most of the people I know in oil and gas, they're not coming on podcasts. They're not, you know, sharing this type of information. So I want to just give a big shout out to you, RJ, and what you guys are doing. One as a company, two, your family and and you yourself coming out here and, you know, spitting facts and truth and and sharing uh, that opportunity and space for other people to partake in the conversation. Because I'm a big believer in what you just said, made in America, pro-America. You know, we are the greatest country space um, that, you know, people can come in the land of the free and go and create whatever the hell it is that they want. Um, and I think obviously you guys are a perfect example, right. Of what that opportunity looks like. So if there were a couple truths that you love for people to know about your industry, your space, maybe the conversation or topic as a whole, what would you tell them? Honestly, I think oil is the greatest industry the world's ever known. I, I truly believe that without oil, the United States wouldn't be where we are today. Um, when it comes to the tax benefits, there's a reason they're so good. 
I mean, uh, Uncle Sam doesn't give us tax benefits because he wants to. He gives us tax benefits because we have to have the oil. And, and so it's not uh, it's not whether you want to be a good guy. It's not whether you want to be a bad guy. Like we were talking a minute ago, a fact is a fact. And petroleum runs the world's economies. Uh, you, you have, other than religion, I believe there's been, now there's, once again, no study. I'd like to, I, in fact, now that I say it, I'll probably go back and research it. But I'd be willing to bet that more wars have been fought over energy yep. than anything other than religion. I believe that. And, and you know, it, it's just because it, everybody, you know, I, I came with a, a, with a little saying when I was like 15 and, you know, I never invented anything, but uh, it was one of those that it made sense to me. Quickest way to become a millionaire is find out a way to make people's lives easier. You know, if you figure out a way, whether it was the remote control, whether it was the cell phone, whether it was the Velcro shoes, you find a way to make somebody's life easier and somebody's going to buy it. Yep. Now, the, the, the fallacy of that is if you make everybody's life too easy, you end up with Wally. You know, and, and so it's just uh, there, there's a fine line between personal responsibility and ease of ease of life. And uh, it's everybody's job to find out where that line where that line sits in them. That's right. Well, brother, I appreciate your time today. It's been super insightful. Amazing learning about your industry, your space, and you know where things are going. If you were to kind of make one bullish or bearish prediction for oil over the next 12 to 24 months, what side of the aisle are you taking? I don't think we've seen anything yet when it comes to prices. I, and I, as much as I hate it for a break, because I pay it, at the, I pay it too. And, you know, so it's, it's not that uh, I'm not saying it, ha, 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 y'all are going to, no, 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 we're all going to pay it. And so, like I said, if you're going to be on the consumer side and you're going to put that money out for the products created by oil, you need to get on the production side, whether it's with me, whether it's with somebody else. I mean, kick the tires, make sure I, I kind of look at it. There, there are three factors involved where I will ever do business with anybody. The first factor is their responsibility. The remaining two are mine. The factor that is theirs, it's simple. It's the money. I don't know how much they have. I don't know how much they can invest. Well, once I know that they're financially in a position to do something, now it relies squarely on me. First, who are we? Jay Burr, Panex, Bob Burr, Bo Burr. Why are we the kind of people you want to get involved with? If you couldn't envision yourself being proud knowing we're working for you, don't do it. Second factor is our program. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend. <laughs>